accident. We, we hit an animal or it hit us. I'm not even sure. It wasn't a dog, was it? Actually, it was... Well, I saw it. It, it was a wolf, but, but bigger. It was like, like a monster wolf. Yeah, Jimmy, I have your statement already. I don't believe you. I know what I saw. It was more like a werewolf. Okay, and I found this website last night, and according to legend, a werewolf feeds during the lunar cycle. That's the three nights around the full moon. Last night was the first moon in the lunar cycle. Okay, so what would a werewolf be doing in L.A.? Shouldn't it be off in the countryside somewhere, terrorizing helpless maybe? But it got her too, and now I can work cursed. I've been cursed. Something bad is going to happen. I'm not gay. I'm cursed. Cursed by the mark of the beast. Oh, it's part of the curse. I'm, I'm appealing. I, I have an unnatural sexual work. And I was born this curse. Curse is uh, Wes Craven and Kevin Williamson teaming up again after the Scream franchise for a movie that is an unknown. It's a quagmire. There's so much left on the cutting room floor, and you'll finish the movie wondering what exactly just happened, what could have went where, what was supposed to go where, and you'll still be entertained, and then you'll forever entertain yourself wondering what could have been. Hello, and welcome back to Scream Addicts. I'm Jinx, your host, and that was Ryan Larson talking about Wes Craven's 2005 horror comedy, Cursed. Mr. Larson is the founder and editor-in-chief of Ghastly Grinning, a horror website with the sole goal of making horror fans happy, focusing on the positive and academic aspects of the horror genre. In addition, he's written for such sites as Dread Central and Bloody Disgusting and has his own podcast as well called Keep Screaming. Mr. Larson, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me, Jinx. I really appreciate it. Now, as with every episode, I'll ask, out of any horror movie you might have chosen, why go with Cursed? You know, so when you asked me to be on and I kind of took a look at what everyone had been – had touched on, and there were a lot of movies I could have picked too. There's a lot of movies, horror movies that are really important to me. There's a lot of movies that have become favorites over time. Um, I saw that you did have a lot of kind of not like old, old films, um, but you know, potentially like a little bit older. Um, you know, you see a lot of that 60s, 70s, 80s range. Uh, you, you even mentioned, you know, uh, on your last episode with Terry that you don't get a lot of contemporary stuff. And I love the contemporary. I've even I've had numerous people reach out to me and my best friend B, who does the podcast with me, about how much they appreciate how how much we enjoy the 90s and 2000s era of horror. Um, beca- yeah, because it's kind of an era that just now is really getting its comeuppance on uh, in like the horror journalism scene. So even though there are movies that are definitely like way more important to me, I mean, I literally have Ghostface from Scream tattooed on my body. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of movies that I could have picked, but Cursed is one of those movies that whenever I tell people I like Cursed, it's with I mean, I'm either around horror fans or non-horror fans, and non-horror fans are gonna go, what? What is that movie? And then horror fans are gonna go. Uh, really? Every once in a while, it's like I'd say, you know, you sit down in a room of 20 uh, horror movie fans and maybe three like Cursed. So I have in the last couple of years especially uh, really championed the movie because I think it's just a lot of fun. There's a lot of like weird kooky things about it that really work for me. Uh, I mean the cast is – just it's one of those things that's great to go back and watch because when it came out none of these people were like super famous yet except christina ricci um and josh jackson joshua jackson like post dawson's creek fame but before his real like revival as an actor too so there's just all this like kind of weirdness about cursed that makes me kind of fall in love with it more every time i watch it and now it's especially it's available on hulu like streaming and we're coming up on 15 years next February will be 15 years since um, cursed and yeah and that really that really just made me want to like when you're like what movie do you want to have back on I was like let's throw people for a loop and uh, <laughs> let's uh, take especially after you did hereditary I was like all right that movie's iconic and a masterpiece let's take a look at something that's not quite those things <laughs> you know I uh, I definitely want to dive into cursed in my first experience with it, and I want to ask you about yours as well but you know I <laughs> this show is known for its tangents I think at least in some small part and uh, you know we we rarely diverge you know or digress straight away but I gotta say I, I want to touch on something you mentioned just a moment ago about uh, 90s horror and the fact that it's you know really starting to get its due with horror journalism I 
I remember growing up in the 90s and reading Fangoria magazine, and it seemed like old school horror fans just were, they despised everything that was coming out at the time. You know, this even pre-Scream, uh, you know, it, it seemed, which admittedly, I mean, you know, the early 90s are kind of a wasteland, you know, they're, the, the, the pickings are slim there, but uh, but there's still some great stuff in there that you know I I think was sadly relegated to uh, just not being talked about that much over the years. And then of course it seemed like after uh, Scream sort of brought about a resurgence, uh, you know at least in the mainstream it seemed like uh, again you know to read the letters pages or to browse the uh, horror movie you know web boards back in the uh, you know the mid to late '90s, it seemed like old school horror fans were kind of. Uh, you know, not even remotely enamored with, uh, you know, these slick sort of uh, slasher movies with angsty teenagers. And, uh, you know, me, I mean, that was, that was, those were among my first horror movies. You know, I was, I was growing up at that time. I, I love Scream. I love Scream too. I love, I know what you did last summer. Uh, I, I watched Urban Legend. Um, you know, um, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I'm not a fan of Urban Legend. I tried, I really did. I gave it, I, I, I gave it an honest show. I, I like Urban Legends, um, but yeah, no, that's that's interesting that you brought that up, though. And you know, funnier still that, you know, you mentioned '90s horror, and yet we're talking about Cursed, which came out in the mid aughts, uh, or at least the the middle of the early aughts. But uh, nevertheless, Cursed feels like a '90s horror film in many ways. Uh-huh. It feels like it might have come out right after Scream. Uh, so yeah, I, I I do want to ask, what was your uh, what was your initial impression of the movie, and when did you first see it? Yeah, I saw Curse when it came out. Actually, uh, I probably launch night. I um, uh, let's see. So oh five, I was junior uh, in high school. I know I took a girl to see this movie, and I know we never went on a date after that. That <laughs> I can tell you for sure. Um, for sure, I I know that happened. I remember even then really liking it because. I mean, I grew up in a really small town, so my I didn't I didn't have access to things like Fangoria. I had dial-up internet, so even like message boards and, and things were at, at best a slow process for me. And um, so my access to horror movies was the local video store, and that it was just like going through the shelves there. So when I finally got my car and I was able to drive to the theater and go see these movies that my mom wouldn't ever take me to because she just wasn't a horror movie fan. She she allowed me to watch horror movies, but she was like not interested in going to go see any of the movies that were hitting the theater. So by the time you know 05 hits – I'm just seeing everything I can. Like I remember a stretch there and, you know, again, bringing it from the 90s to the 2000s. There's a lot about the 2000s I really enjoy. There's a lot about the 2000s that was not that great. (laughs) There was a stretch there where I definitely saw the Hitcher remake, the Wicker Man remake, Uh Cursed, uh, just like all of these movies. But anything I could possibly see in theaters, I was seeing. And I think I just, no matter what, I walked away kind of loving it because I was just getting to absorb horror in a way that I had never done before. Because, like I said, growing up, I was allowed to rent these movies some. Um, My mom was not like super like staunch on rules but there were some things in place that prevented me from seeing a lot of the like classics until later like the quote-unquote classics until later like my classics were the universal monster movies and then once i was able to finally go see them on a big screen it was this whole new world to me where all of these people that i you know read about when in like bigger cities were seeing you know especially because the websites are all like la based new york based so they're seeing all of these movies on a big screen and i'm like man i still haven't so honestly curse is one of the first horror movies i ever saw in a theater and do you think that i mean do you feel as though you have uh sort of nostalgia for the movie that i you know i I can imagine most horror fans are the same in that, you know, the the first experiences with the genre, whether or not the movie was, you know, perfect or even great or maybe even so-so, you know, God knows. Nevertheless, you can't help but be fond of those. I mean, hell, one of the first horror movies that I ever saw on VHS was Halloween 5, and it's still one of my favorite entries in that franchise, even though I think it's probably one of the lesser entries in that franchise. You know, so um, I, I... I do have to ask what you thought of the Wicker Man remake. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, please. No, please uh, yeah, for sure. Um, not a fan of the Wicker Man remake even fair, now. Okay. 
Um, I mean, as as like you kind of said in the beginning, Gasly Grenning's whole goal was I, I, I got really tired of like a toxic kind of this hypercritical yeah. um, and even you brought it up a little bit like when journalists were reviewing like these 90s movies. I think there's always been kind of a little bit of gatekeeping in these like sub or these niche genres so like comic i'm and i'm into a lot of these things professional wrestling comic books uh horror movies these are all things that i'm very into and in every community there is this like kind of gatekeeping and a little bit of toxic fandom so the whole reason i created ghastly is like we're no matter what like my dad said something to me once that really stuck and he said every band is someone's favorite band and that's kind of how i feel about movies because every movie is someone's favorite movie so when i watch a movie i can recognize that it's not for me but what i try to do is take away what people are appreciating appreciating about it and also recognizing that you know probably anywhere between 40 to 100 people put a lot of hard work and effort into those movies so to try not to downplay that um i definitely will be you know, it's okay to acknowledge that some things just don't work and some things just come off wrong. And but like what's what's what it's really done for me is open up this door where I start really um researching and finding out like what happened here what was the intent like where was there a hiccup was it left on was it an editor was there a scripting thing was you know did the lead actor and the director not get along so they clashed and like this is the weirdness that happened and so i think a lot of those movies that are not great um i i I can still take an appreciation away from them which curse is definitely one of those things like i loved it in theaters when I became – when I first got into horror journalism, I was kind of like push up my glasses, kind of snobby. I am a horror journalist. Uh, you know, Let me tell you what's so bad about these movies. And then I've evolved and changed since then. So even going back to Cursed again, I just fell in love with it again. But there are movies – you know, you, you mentioned Nostalgia Glasses. The first horror movie I ever saw was, was Leprechaun. Um, oh, nice. And it scared the hell out of me. Like my dad showed – I was three years old and I, I barely remember seeing the movie. I remember the nightmares that I had more than I remember the movie. Um, and like that movie in particular does not have a huge amount of nostalgia glasses for me. Like I go back with Leprechaun and I'm like, uh, this is a pretty goofy movie and you know – uh, I don't love it, but even then I research it and it's like, you know, one person wanted that movie to be a comedy. One person wanted that movie to be a true horror movie and then it kind of – met in the middle so it's just interesting to really even when you don't like something kind of approach it from the aspect of okay but like what was the intent here and i think a lot of times like more often than not because there are times when i'm researching something and i'm like oh that was the intent they missed the, well then they missed the mark um but i do think there's a lot of times too where i'm like oh like that was the intent and if it, it this is where the disconnect happened and then kind of looking in polling and going okay i can see where they were going before they hit this roadblock and i think that's great i think that's a fantastic approach i uh you know it's funny i you know if i dislike a movie i generally i i am i can be bluntly honest about it i uh you know i (laughs) i will never have a nice word to say about the wicker man remake i'll admit that you know i uh but at the same time you know i um i try not to be too venomous when it comes to uh you know the movies that i dislike you know i i do think there is a line and it's funny you know just participating in social media it seems like these days uh, or maybe it's always been this way who knows but it's either uh you know a movie can either be the greatest movie ever or the worst thing anyone's ever seen and uh you know i and i used to be that guy you know ages ago too um you know i i fell into that trap but i i see what you're saying and i I love that your site, you know, does sort of take a positive, you know, approach to uh, to movies. And I love that you chose Cursed because I'll say this. Well, let me talk about the first time I saw it. I used to work yes. at a movie theater. Uh, I, I'm a huge Wes Craven fan, was then as well. And this movie coming out, like I, you know, keeping up with Fangoria and reading the message boards all the time. Uh, I think Dread Central probably would have been Creature Corner back then. I know Bloody Disgusting was around at the time. Shocked Will You Drop. You know, there there seemed to be a bit of trouble with the movie that was reported on. You know, the massive reshoots and the recasting and, you know, the rewriting and whatnot. And so, you know, by the time the movie came out, one, it felt like it wasn't pushed nearly as much as it should have considering it was coming from the same creative team that gave us, you know, Scream. You know, those movies were huge at the time and they weren't too 
far in the past by the time that Cursed was actually coming out. And yet I remember working at the theater and we had maybe one trailer, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. that was cut for the film. I don't recall seeing a great deal of TV spots. I think there was one poster that came out that was kind of underwhelming. So even being a Craven fan, I couldn't wait to see the movie. And yet there was this sort of unease, you know, I'm like, why, why is this being treated like a, such a non-event, you know? And, uh, but I insisted on being the guy who previewed the movie. I, I built the print myself, and uh, I threaded it up, and I ran it at midnight, and you know I walked out just having pretty much, uh, pretty much despised it. I did not like the movie at all. Um, I, I actively disliked it. I warned people away from it. I, uh, and it's funny, you know, even movies that I dislike, so long as they uh, they come from people who's work I appreciate, like Craven, you know, generally I will revisit them down the line, but there was something about Curse that made me never want to revisit it. I even owned the damn thing on disc, but I never rewatched it after that initial uh, showing in theaters. So I got to thank you for choosing the movie for this chat because it forced me to finally rewatch it. And I got to say, I... I, I still don't think it fully works. Uh, it's not, it's, you know, it, I still have some major issues with it. But I will say this, I found m- so much more to appreciate about the, the film this time around than I did, you know, the first time. I uh, There are large swaths of the movie that I think are actually really entertaining. There are some set pieces that I think are masterfully done. Um, I think some parts are really fun. You know, I think a lot of the performances are a great deal of fun. You know, I I Uh couldn't have said any of these things after the first time I viewed the movie. But uh, so I so I have to thank you for that, for choosing the movie and for uh, shining a light on it again for me, because I don't know that I ever would have gotten around to revisiting the movie. Uh, Probably the closest I might have gotten was, uh, you know, when Mr. Craven passed away a few years ago. I sort of uh, I started going back through his filmography with the intent to watch everything. And, uh, you know, I probably made it about 75 percent of the way through in one go. But. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, at one time I might've called this his worst movie, but now, I mean, you know, I, 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 until I rewatch the Hills have eyes part two or my soul to take, I, I don't think it is at all. Uh, but yeah, so when it comes to curse though, what is it that sort of, uh, works for you about the movie? What, uh, what do you take away from it? What, what makes you such a fan of it? Would you say? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Before we get too far, I just want to say, you know, we talk about uh, not being venomous when you come to not liking something. I think that's the most important way to to not like something. It is okay not to like things. Like a lot of people question me sometimes, like, so what? We're not allowed to like things. I'm like, no, you absolutely can. You just don't need to drag it. Like you can say, like, you know, it doesn't work for me. And like, also, I think a lot of times when people don't like something, they get defensive when they're like, well, what didn't you like about it? And they're like, instead of being like, you know, this didn't work. It just didn't click for me. This, this. It's like, well, now I I'm gonna bullet point like 20 bullet points give you exactly piece for piece what didn't work and it's like we don't you don't like you don't have to like you know like tear the movie apart just like what didn't work for you and it's funny that you mentioned my soul to take that movie does not work for me it 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 completely misses the mark like there's a lot of things about that movie that just are not not like for me i'm a huge craven fan he's he is my favorite director and my best friend and our friend aaron dries who's a horror novelist love that movie and every time they get together they're always like oh my soul to take and i'm like ah no i'll pass like i'm not i've rewatched it i've rewatched it recently um like i give i give that movie a chance and it's just never worked for me um curse though so what I think it's special about Craven, Craven with Williamson, really, because Craven is definitely, I mean, like I said, Craven is my favorite, but there's something special about him and Kevin Williamson together. And I think that they proved it with the Scream movies. They, like, when this movie came out, it's like a lot of people were like, oh, like, it already it already dates itself by doing these certain things. Like, you know, Craig Kilborn's in it, and obviously, like, the show had not, like, the late night show was not Craig Kilborn, even by the time the show came out. Um, they get, like, they got knocked for all these things in 2005 for, for it being in production hell for two years. So it dated itself pretty much immediately. But then the thing is, you get past that. And now we're 15 years removed. No one remembers when Craig Kilburn was on the freaking late night show. So like that doesn't matter anymore. And then I think there's a lot of things too that when it came out, people were like, oh, uh, like it gets knocked a lot for like the the writing and um, and some like the character stuff. And obviously like there's a lot just 
left on the editing room floor, editing room floor and you can tell. But what I think works really well is Williamson knows how to write a script that I think ages decently um, and it usually ages better with time. Scream 4 did that very well. Scream 3 did that very well. And I think that Curse does that too. And I think what Williamson was doing here, which a lot of people maybe didn't like completely hit on, he's almost parodying himself. Um, and I think he's doing that as a tongue-in-cheek knock on him and Wes because we're talking about two guys who basically invented meta – not invented but refined meta horror. I mean Wes took a stab with meta with New Nightmare and then really um, defined it and set this like touchstone piece with Scream with Kevin. And then you know they were asked to do that again and again. And so I think this is kind of both Wes and Kevin – really taking the scream formula but not having any not having any rules that they have to play by and it's it's taking a teen slasher formula and throwing it into the lives of a group of anywhere from late teens to early adolescents in Los Angeles. So I think there's a lot of things that Williamson and Craven were both trying to say about the Hollywood elite. I think there's a lot of things that they're trying to um kind of trying to touch with with like satire on that entire idea of like hollywood i think that there's some stuff in there that they're definitely doing about um power and like the and again tying back into like hollywood like the more powerful you are the more enemies you have um it can become like power can become an an, an enemy itself and then i i just again it's one of those things that at the time, maybe you're not looking at that cast and going like, oh, this is great. But now you look back on it and it's really fun to go, oh, look, it's Jesse Eisenberg. It's Joshua Jackson before – like right after his Austin's Creek and before he really had his like kind of late like time revival. It's one of the last major roles that Christina Ricci ever had um, for some reason. You know, It's Michael Rosenbaum before he got big, Nick Offerman before he got big, Shannon Elizabeth at the tail end of her height. Um, there's just so many like fun little keynotes that you can see. Portia de Rossi randomly pulled in there because you know that like they work together on screen two together. And so there's a lot of like really fun things about that too. And then I think for me, really what draws me to curse is, and I'll, I'll admit, I'm just a sucker for a slick movie. Like I like glossy. I like, I like CW Cass. I, I mean, I'm a huge fan of all those like mid to late 2000s slasher remakes. And it's, yeah, it's in no fault because of just slick production values, good-looking cast, even, like, a little bit of um, decent writing. And, you know, I think this script, no matter what anyone wanted to say in 05, like, is much better than they give it credit for. Um, it's funny. There's lines. I was reading up on some of the reviews, and so many reviews tore this script apart and, like, specifically pointed out some lines Um a lot of the stuff that happens between Jesse Eisenberg and Milo Ventimiglia, who's another actor that wasn't big at the time, um, gets dragged. And it and it's interesting because Kevin Williamson is a queer screenwriter, so obviously anything he wrote about being a homosexual is not a drag on homosexuality, but a lot of people called that out, which I thought was odd. And then my, one of my favorite lines in the movie, because I think it's hilarious and it's pure camp, which I think this is also – Craven and Williamson being paid a buttload of money by the Weinsteins, not having to stick to a, a scream formula and having a little bit of fun and going campy. And so Judy Greer's line of, you know, I guess there's no such thing as safe sex with a werewolf like that. That line in particular, if you go through old reviews, really gets slammed. I think it's hilarious. I think it's a little like genius just because of how ridiculously campy it is. Um, and so I love the camp in this movie. I mean, the fact that the, one of the final set pieces takes place in like a wax museum full of horror <laughs> icons. Like there's no part of me that you look at the guys, it's Kevin Williamson and Wes Craven. Like they're not stupid. They're, it's not like they're ignorant to these things. They're not blind to these things. Like I think they really were, just having a little bit of fun, going a little bit off the rails and a little bit unleashed with a budget that the wine scenes – I mean, you know, the wine scenes paid Craven double 
um, what his normal rate was to do this movie. Well, he, he directed he, it twice. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he realistically, I think four times he said he shot about four movies worth of film. Um, I would kill to see. I mean, Heather Langenkamp was originally in it. Mandy Moore was originally in it. Ski Ulrich, Omar Epps, uh, uh, Corey uh, Feldman had a, had a spot, uh, kind of maybe as a Scott Bayo character. Scott Bayo was originally the villain, like the werewolf. Josh Jackson wasn't re- originally like the ultimate villain. So many things were like filmed, and I would love to see that. But you know, like. Wes was going to do Pulse, that movie Pulse with Kristen Bell that came out. That was, he he wrote that movie, but he didn't get to film it because he was doing this. So I do think – I like to think that after so much time, they kind of just started going like, we're just going to go bonkers. And you can see that in this. I do love uh, – you know, you mentioned the campiness of the safe sex line. I just got to say I – watching it again, that line played better. And I think due in no small part to the fact that Joshua Jackson – plays his reaction to that line not like it's a comic beat but he plays it straight he plays the regret of that you know like it's such a it's it's a blink and you'll miss it moment but when she says that line i mean it's almost like i think a lesser filmmaker would have waited for this sort of you know like uh to get a giggle out of the audience and instead he cuts to you know his leading man at that point and you just see him sort of wither a bit under that and I, I i love that moment this time around i gotta say but i will say you know you mentioned some of the lines between jesse eisberg and Milo ventimiglia and i i gotta admit like it, it was a little troubling at times you know i mean there's you know there's the bullying you know mm-hmm. where the uh the slurs come off like they're meant to be comedic at times but that's okay maybe because you know it's an asshole who's slinging them so it's like okay if he's a jerk being a jerk Using, you know, sort of homophobic slurs, okay, it makes him look like more of an asshole, so I guess it's okay. But then, I I guess the biggest problem that I had this time around is, you know, the big wrestling scene where Jimmy starts weaponizing the notion of being gay later on against his own bully, and it's still played for yucks in a way. But then, you know, the bully turns out to be gay, and his coming out scene is meant to be humorous. And, you know, I felt the same way initially. I'm like, well, you know, Kevin Williamson wrote it, so is this all meant to get a pass as a result? But then it also occurred to me, too. I mean, the movie was heavily rewritten, uh, reportedly by, was it a... Uh, oh. Marion Madalena. Oh, I didn't remember. Oh, no, no, no. The, she, a, she produced. Sorry. Um, Sean yeah, I, Hood was the name. Yes, that I came Sean up with Hood. Him. Yes, so yes, like, yes. I don't know much about him, but I mean, you know, I, I wonder if that was Williamson's intent or if that was something that was added later. But it, I, I will admit it does. It did make me uneasy this time around in a way that it didn't really the first time. No, and I, I can definitely see that. Um, you know, I think that. Again, you have to wonder how much is edited because like Jesse Eisenberg and Milo have like a really good chemistry once Milo comes out to him. Like they actually work really well as friends. I agree with you. (laughs) Yeah. And I agree with you. Like that wrestling scene actually for me is the standout doesn't work moment of the movie. Um, And it's not necessarily because the scene itself, because I understand why the scene exists. To me, it is really – like they go in two different ways. Like once this happens to them, Christina Ricci is apprehensive of it and Jesse Eisenberg is embracing it. And so he's embracing this newfound power that he has. And it's kind of like that idea of, um, you know, ultimate power corrupts. And so like, he is this person who we see and we spend time with and he's very respectful and he's very, um, you know, timid and very quirky. And then he gets this power and he finds a newfound confidence. But then he starts in exhibiting the behaviors uh, that the bully, you know, showed upon him. Um, and then it kind of flops again because – once zipper turns into a werewolf he kind of quickly retracts back to his like intimidable like nerdy self and again i i wonder how much is editing and like you said the script too sean hood um yeah because i i did see you know he did i don't love his writing credits um you know (laughs) halloween resurrection is definitely on there so um i like that yeah, they's good. Um, so he's kind of hit and miss, but I wonder how much of that was him. How much is editing too? Because it's like you said, you know, like when that 
there's that Judy Greer, Joshua Jackson beat you. And, and if you had edited that differently, it would have felt more comedic, but you cut to Joshua Jackson and it, you can, and I do think Jackson and Richie carry the movie on their shoulders with their performances. Um, but like it makes it stick a little more. He's very much like a sympathetic villain. Um, but you have to wonder too, like editing wise, like I wonder how much there's just so many like variables um, that you have to like, with a project like this um, because sometimes you can watch a movie and you know it was solely written by one person and like this and this and this and so you'll hear something and you're like that's odd um, and but then like something like this you're like where was that Williamson really playing around with some ideas about homosexuality that maybe we don't understand because we're straight or is that like really Sean Hood's coming in and going like oh we're going to turn this into comedy instead of into um character growth yeah and i wonder too like i wonder how much the rewrites might have affected you know williamson's intent with the movie at least thematically you know you you noted uh you know that the movie can be read as a look at uh, power and how it corrupts and you know the sort of satirical look at hollywood and i you know i remember reading this great interview with williamson way back in the day i think it was something uh in like it might have been Fangoria, but I think it was more something like creative screenwriting or fade in. Uh, anyway, he mentioned this notion that he picked up from David E. Kelly that everything he wrote always started out with a strong thematic base straight away. And, you know, I used that interview to kickstart a defense for Scream 3 in the past, but, uh, you know, I'm wondering, obviously Williamson's original vision was heavily tinkered with, I think, but... You know, with the version of Curse that we have, do you think it has a strong thematic base that sort of still sits there? You know, do you think it's wrestling with any heavier themes or do you think, you know, we're meant to read into a movie that maybe wasn't fully completed in the way that the original writer intended as far as, again, thematically? Yeah. Thematically, no. I don't. I don't think it has a, a strong base. I think it got lost with whatever footage and whatever uh, part of the script that we lost. I think we're able to fill in some of those pieces because, luckily, the internet exists and we can read kind of what they were going for. Um, we can read like you know what the original, some of the original things that happened are um, that like were originally supposed to happen. But I don't think that those exist here. And so you're just left to wonder and to question and to kind of, you know, we are fortunate enough with this movie in particular to at least have uh, the Scream movies uh, to go back and, and kind of give like Williamson and Craven a track record so we can go, OK, like, but what do we know about these guys? Where do they usually touch on things? What what is usually their message and, you know, they do a lot of commentary. They do a lot of meta. Um, Craven loves suburban nightmare. And so there's a fam like, you know, family uh, drama. Like there's a lot of these things that you can see traces of in this movie. And I think you kind of just have to infer and hope that like they were sticking to the process of like what they normally were. But yeah, when I rewatch this movie, like those you can see – I think the closest one is you can see the Hollywood, like the kind of like cannibalistic nature of Hollywood, the like that lifestyle a little bit and the satiristic lifestyle, um, like um, L.A. life. But that's the closest you can get, but it doesn't exist. And so from, it's fun to analyze the movie from what ifs, but – I also think the best way to go into this movie is to go, okay, this is a campy creature feature. Fair enough. You know, and in research for this chat, I actually started looking up uh, some interviews and footage uh, concerning the, uh, the original movie or the original version of it. And I didn't realize, you know, as you mentioned earlier, I mean, it had Ricci, it had Eisenberg, but it also had Skeet Ulrich playing... Uh, I guess the three of them were meant to be playing strangers. So reaching mm -hmm. Iceberg wouldn't have even been playing siblings in that. But uh, I guess they all come together in an initial auto accident. And, you know, they're, they're attacked by uh, werewolves. Or one werewolf, I guess. But there are two werewolves who are the villains, I guess, in this version of the film. But I just, I, I, I would really love to see this version of the movie, which apparently still exists in some form out there. But, I mean, if only they could present the original take of that film that Craven and Williamson intended along with all of the gore and practical effects that were cut out. I mean, maybe there is this amazing gem just hiding out there that we may never see. And I just, you know, I, 
I need the Dominion prequel to the Exorcist cut of this film. I need the Cabal cut here. You know, the film in its current version, you know, hear me out. I, it's not widely loved, you know, but I mean, imagine presenting the original version as essentially a new Wes Craven film that no one's seen. I mean, I, does his name not hold enough clout still, not even simply with genre fans, but with a lot of mainstream audiences as well, that it would be worth the time and effort and money for someone to construct a proper version of this original film? No, absolutely. And I think we will get it one day. I do. I think that it, the horror audience is growing and they're also becoming more rabid for content. I mean, it's crazy when you look at it. horror as a genre is bonkers because it's to me again existing in a lot of different fandoms it's the most hungry for content in a positive way like i feel and this isn't a knock on any of those other ones but like um i I feel like the next closest is wrestling because wrestling is actually like i feel moving in a very like progressive dimension and also um learning uh learning from itself and like we're getting very good content based on like content that already exists and but there's a lot of things like uh star wars or comic books where people are like we want more we want more and the more that comes out they're like this sucks and so i think that's a really like dangerous fandom horror is to me the opposite i think we i I, i've seen it even in some of the biggest you know bloody and uh dread you know i think john both the johns john squires and jonathan barkin are both champions of really um highlighting the positives in horror and then i think with all these like boutique horror labels with places like arrow and vinegar and um with scream factory and then with these like growing horror even just like personalities it's crazy like there's no other genre where you're like oh they're all they're an action personality like that doesn't exist but within horror i mean you have your your huge people like elvira and your joe bob briggs but then you even have you know mcgarris with postmortem and you have like all the shockwaves guys and people just are they want it and they they eat it up and so we do have things like the book the cabal cut and we do have things like the dominion cut and then i mean we're getting a freaking tammy the t-rex gore edition <laughs> you know like which is we're so getting utterly absurd that. but my god yeah. i am buying that day day one i am I am too. Like day one, yeah, I'm there, man. So, do I think we'll get it one day? Yeah, I think right now it's just all the craziness with the Weinstein litigation tied up. Whatever, um, they were so to the chest with all their stuff before that even happened. The Weinstein's notoriously were. I mean, there's a version of Black Christmas out there too that's nowhere near as like grimy that um, because they made you know that director put a lot of weird, not super appropriate stuff in that movie. So there's actually a version that feels a little less slimy of black xmas out there and so i think we will i don't you know and i think in like not very long ago one of the producers or someone who worked for um who is dimension was it dimension or miramax that puts this out i can't miramax uh, it was both dimension and miramax it was someone who worked for them said that footage is all out there the weinsteins owned it so wherever it ended up when that all that got sparsed out and got purchased it's just up to them now to go like, okay, like what's the market? How do we package it? And, you know, I think it's a lot of people going through paperwork and going through archives and going like, what do we have? But I could totally one day see us getting the cursed uncut edition, whether or not they want to edit a new movie or just give us a Blu-ray copy of curse with all of the footage. Um, because it'd be, I understand it'd be hard to edit the movie. Like complete characters were, erased and rewritten you know like you said ski ulrich was originally in it and that kind of morphed into joshua jackson's character um maya's role in this was originally mandy moore um so there's like there are like characters that were completely redone but i would still yeah man i'd happily shell out 40 bucks for a scream factory blu-ray that was cursed the rated r cut but then you know a day's worth of footage uh that we've never seen i would buy that too i uh I hope that once it all shakes out with Dimension and Miramax and the wine scenes and everything, I just hope at some point down the road, uh, you know, now I hope that we get the, uh, you know, the ultimate cursed edition. And you know what? I really want to see the Honest to God director's cut of Tim Pope's The Crow sequel, uh, The Crow City of Angels. Uh, those are the two big ones for me. Um, and I, uh, I don't know. I, but God knows. I mean, how many movies were butchered by those guys? You know, what was... Uh, 
uh, what was Harvey's name, uh, nickname, Harvey Scissorhands? Something yeah, like that. yeah. Like, you know, God knows how many other versions of films are out there. God knows how many original versions of movies that might be completely different from what we wind up getting. Who knows? Uh, I would love to see, uh, was it Billy Bob Thornton's original cut of uh, uh, All the Pretty Horses, which apparently was an hour longer, you know? Uh, you read about things like that, and it's like, okay, so, you know, you trimmed it down and you threw it into theaters, you know, hoping that that would make it more commercial, but now that we're in the realm of, like, home video, damn it, just give us the original intent. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And those guys, like you said, were notorious for that. I mean, going back to the burning, like they were making sure that like things were added in that, you know, now that certain things have come to light, it's unfortunate that we know what things they were adding in, what the intentions were. But yeah, those guys, I mean, I would, I, I would love, uh, like you said, I would love to get the ultimate cursed edition that just has all that footage. And more than anything, I would love to see just footage of Rick Baker's werewolf in action, because how, how is it that, you know, it, it says that Rick Baker either walked or was fired from the film after the original, you know, 2003 production. Why does he constantly have to put up with that shit? Ask any horror fan what the greatest practical effects sequences are in genre film history. Chances are most people are going to mention an American werewolf in London as being one of the very best, at least the transformation sequence. And yet, you know, he was hired for Cursed, a werewolf movie. And then he and his work were replaced by somebody else. And then that was replaced by Dodgy CG. And then he was hired for the Wolfman remake down the road, and you have this wonderful makeup on display, and yet they use CG for the transformation. How the hell do you have Rick Baker on your werewolf movie and not have him handle the transformation sequences? Yeah, I think it comes down to ego probably a lot of the times. Um, I, I, You know, with Cursed, who knows? He could have walked. Maybe just the project was taking too long, but also uh could come down to budget like they're oh this costs too much we're gonna go this dodgy cg or also i do think because you know weinstein came out and said this is going to change werewolf movies and i I would not be surprised if he was like we don't need rick baker like we have like technology has improved since then we don't need rick baker we can do it for better and cheaper and then same with i mean you know i wouldn't completely surprise me with the wolfman if that happened um it's awful (laughs) i i i'm glad that we're finally you know like we've all known forever that practical effects age better spielberg has proved that like i mean i think jurassic park is the like the the really big the movie you can always reference of like yeah that movie looks way better because of practical effects and then modern day like you look at anything del toro does and it's like that's going to look better because of practical and then jj abrams doing a lot of practical with the star wars um like with force awakens so i think we're moving back into a direction where people are like okay either practical or at least a blend of practical and cg um but you know this era late 90s 2000s it was cg heavy so i mean it i don't understand but i guess i do under like it was a dumbest it was a dumb thing to do but i can kind of understand what the intent was it was just a uh very uneducated attempt <laughs> i would love to see his original werewolf or i guess i should say original werewolves you know i did mention originally the uh the film apparently had two killer werewolves at the end which would have turned out to be joni uh again I yeah guess. and scott bayo playing scott bayo as a werewolf so which is just insane uh but you know i was thinking about it i'm like you know craven williamson skeet ulrich two killers working together this totally would have been scream for the early aughts you know i uh and i kind of wish it had gotten through you know in its original version because of that alone but uh i i wanted to ask you too uh you know i mentioned scott Bayo. And you mentioned Craig Kilborn earlier. It's strange that you have two people in this movie who are, you know, if we're being kind, we could say they were being good sports and taking a shot at their image. Uh, you know, Kilborn certainly plays kind of like a jackassy version of himself. And, uh, right. But, I mean, the Scott Bayo scene is a little creepy and cringe-inducing. There's a very sort of time's up, me too moment with him, you know. And I guess one could call an actor brave or a good sport again for taking a shot at their image with a moment like that but at the same time you know when when you read some of the things about him uh, especially like who is it uh uh nicole eggert's claims about him like uh one wonders how close to reality that beat in the movie might have been you know no absolutely and again that I hate to keep bringing them up, but the wine scenes and like you see it more and more, like the more you go back and watch a wine scene movie, 
you really do see a lot of that strange, like really awkward, like why does this exist perversion, sexual, like kind of weirdness. And uh, like you mentioned me too. It's like, yeah, man, like that Weinstein kind of kickstarted all that and that movement. And it would not surprise me at all all if he was in there and, and and was like let's make it so the hollywood guy hits on this girl like that's a little more you know but that i i could i could like see him doing that because he's done things like that in movies before and and but you're right i think that scene is is um the blurs the lines between reality and fiction a little too much for my comfortability and i definitely like get uh uncomfortable when i watch it i, I kind of like squirm in my seat i'm like oh this is not the bit like it's <laughs> it's not great because and like you said too just it a little too close because i definitely don't think it's bayo being brave i think it's bayo if anything thinking i'm untouchable and yeah exactly and, like, what goes through your mind when you're that guy who's been accused of that stuff or will or who has done it and then you're portraying yourself doing that same thing in a film that loads of people are going to see. Like that's just, it blows my mind that somebody would, I guess would dance that closely to the edge. Even somebody, you know, who feels like uh, they're untouchable. It's just, it's, it's icky. It is icky. And I think it, again, it goes to ego. Uh, I think the only thing that can really account for behavior like that is just thinking like, well, I can do this. And also like, you know, um, thinking that you're big enough that it will never, it's almost like, you know, oh, I can do this and they'll never even know that I am kind of like this. Yikes. I, I, I will say that I did appreciate the fact that, uh, both in the original version of the movie and obviously in the version that we have, I, I kind of love the idea that it's a bit of a werewolf whodunit, you know, we don't have many of those. Maybe, uh, you know, the only other one that leaps to mind is that old, um, amicus film uh uh the beast must die you know and i i that mystery aspect felt like a fun riff on scream to me too and uh i don't know i i really dug that part of it i i i will say i i maybe didn't care for it so much the first time around but watching it again i'm like this is this is a lot of fun i love watching the red herrings i love you know tr obviously i know who it was but you know it's fun watching that scene with uh, michael rosenbaum near the end when he's approaching uh Christina Ricci and Jesse Eisenberg with his hands up. And yet he's he's right on the line between being sympathetic and caring, but also really sinister. Mm -hmm. And uh, No, I love moments like that. I, I, I love toying with the audience in that way where you're wondering the entire time. OK, who is it? Who is it? Who is it? It's strange that we don't get that more with werewolf movies because they're almost perfectly built for it. Um and and you know you brought up the beast must die which i actually just watched that movie for the first time last year but completely i fell in love with it and and it really is because that movie is and then there were none with werewolves <laughs> which is fantastic what a great idea and so i totally agree with you i think that like again with this movie the mystery falls flat a little because i'm sure i really do think that there was a lot more character stuff with all of these characters, the cast is huge and they spend a decent amount of time. Like we go back to Maya at one point, you know, like, and I know we met her in the beginning of the movie with Shannon Elizabeth's character, but like, she really isn't integral to the plot at all. She's almost like just an extra body. I mean, that whole, um, carport, uh, scene is okay. There's like some neat stuff in it, but she's kind of like Casey Becker. If Casey didn't die straight away and we got to know her a little bit better. Yeah, it feels like that movie should have been in the or that scene should have been in the beginning of the movie. Oh, and right. guess guess what? It was uh, the Mandy what? Moore scene. Yeah, that movie that scene was originally the opening scene of the movie with Mandy Moore. Um, Mandy Moore was Maya's character originally. That was the opening scene of the movie. You have your big name actress get murdered gruesomely right at the beginning of the movie, and for some reason, somewhere in editing, it got shifted way to there because she does die originally. The whole intent was for her to die. To That was the start of the movie. And then Shannon Elizabeth's character would get introduced later as um, someone who blew off Josh Joe Jackson or a Ski Ulrich's character from dating them. That would have worked so much better at the very beginning. And I got to say, even as it is, you know, for being a, one of the bigger set pieces kind of reserved for a character that we don't really give much of a damn about. I mean, you know, it's one of the better scenes in the movie. Uh, 
you know, it's so well done and it's so craveny, you know, it's uh, until I will say this, the cutaway at the very end is such a disappointment, even in the R rated cut, you know, we don't see the, we don't really see the attack. We don't see, you know, the aftermath. And it's not like I'm, I'm not a massive gore hound, but when you're making a werewolf movie, like you, especially one that's as visceral at times as this one is, or feels, you know, it, it feels like it was it was cut short. I mean, it, again, I mean, going back to Casey Becker in the opening of Scream, like, you know, imagine if that opening sequence had ended with, uh, you know, Ghostface crashing through the window, tackling her, raising the knife and bringing it down, and then it cuts to black, and that would be it. You know, we, that would be such a bummer, and that's uh, that's kind of how I feel about the scene in Cursed, because up until that point, that sequence is pretty damn fantastic. It's Graven operating on a on all cylinders, but then you get to the end of it and it's, it's just kind of like, eh. And I actually have read there is more like I, um, I, I was reading earlier today, even that there, there is that, that scene specifically gets called out as being different in the rated R cut, but they have, they have basically confirmed that it was even more and they don't understand why it's not in the rated R cut. Hmm. That's a shame. I, uh, yeah, I do think it would have been far more, uh, far more effective had it opened the film that way because as it is i mean we we don't really have any we don't have the gut punch you know we don't have the energy at the very beginning of the movie that you know any of the scream films had and, oh uh, no it's completely lacking and in, it's so funny that you brought that scene up and you're like oh it's like case Becker because it was supposed to be it was supposed to be exactly what williamson and craven do together i mean you look at scream you know you get drew barrymore the entire scene we get that super like uh zoom in on her face and then it kicks off boom our title card scream scream two we get jada pinkett smith in the beginning i mean you know we get the omar epps death and then we get her literally dying in front of a theater full of people wearing ghost face masks so great. So yeah and then sequence Boom, Scream 2. Even Scream 3, you know, we get caught in coming home. Um, you know, his girlfriend is killed, and then he's killed. Boom, Scream 3. So, Curse, can you imagine instead of the weird bowling for soup fortune-telling carnival scene that we get? <laughs> which I even, like, part of me loves that because, again, I think it's full tongue-in-cheek camp. Like, bowling for soup is little, literally singing Little Red Riding Hood. And I'm like, I get it. Like, you're winking you're, you're winking at the audience, but you're, like, doing, a, you know, a stage wink, um, which I'm fine with. It's very Looney Tunes. But, like, you know, you get Shannon Elizabeth looking for her friend Maya, and then, you know, the, she's looking at the beach, full moon, cursed. Okay, there's nothing there. There's no substance. There's no wallop. And it's like you can even look at that scene, and you can tell you're like, oh, Maya should have been in – we should have cut to her in this parking garage, and this should have been the scene that would happen immediately after because, like, then it's so weird. She goes looking for her friend. She's, like, calling her name out, looks at the beach. Friend's not there, and then it just cuts away. I'm like, that was weird. Like, that's a really weird – and then the next time we see her, she's driving home alone. It's like, where's her friend? What happened there? <laughs> it's so – yeah, I agree. It's and plus, you know, I, I guess it makes us wait what about 10, 12 minutes in the film before uh, I guess the first big action beat, which, you know, it it, uh, it occurred to me this time around that the entire movie hinges on that car accident at the very beginning, which was always the case. Even in the original version of the movie, it was meant to be three strangers in an auto accident and then the werewolf pops up and bites them. I don't know if that werewolf had any direct connection to any of them in the original version of the movie, but I was thinking about it. In this version of the movie, the entire film is built on the massive coincidence that Ellie and Jimmy just happened to hit the Shannon Elizabeth character in her car at the same time that Ellie's boyfriend, Jake's ex, Joni, was stalking Shannon Elizabeth to slaughter her for having been with Jake, I think. I think I got all that right. Yeah, no, you nailed it. <laughs> and so I was thinking about it this time, and I'm just like, that is one hell of a coincidence. Like, even if I were Joni the werewolf, and I got a glimpse at who all was involved with this scene, I would I would take a moment, I would take a, you know, a claw and scratch my head at that. Oh, absolutely. It's, um, it's one of those things, again, I have to go back to, like, just sit back and enjoy, man. Like it's like it's a this is gonna be a campy creature feature. We're gonna have some fun with it. A werewolf's gonna flip people off. It's gonna be great. <laughs> Which I I I, I, I go that. down 
moment the oh. first time around. The second time around, I just I, – I couldn't help but grin at it. I really... Oh, absolutely. Here's the thing too. And and I think horror audiences are so forgiving now and they also are they, – they love – I think this was an era. It was a very different era. Like campy horror didn't exist. We had moved well past the age of the early 90s when we were getting things like Evil Dead and Leprechaun. And like, you know, those aren't like specifically camp, but they are – you you know, it, it's very different. It's a blend of horror and comedy. Then like – you know, late 90s, early 2000s, we had the J-horror run. Um, you know, we had uh, like the, the the you know, quote unquote torture porn scene. And so camp horror didn't exist. And so I, I don't think people wanted to even try to embrace this, especially when you're looking at it. And like even saying Craven and Williamson, who had, you know, so perfectly brought us the Scream franchise. Like Slashers were also gone. That run of pre or post Scream yeah. Slashers was over. Um, you know, Williamson and, and Craven hadn't done a project together in a while. Like I I think that the audience and then you you throw that out there. So you're going in looking for like two things. You're either looking for like probably kind of a brutal you know, kind of a, a a brutal horror, like werewolf horror movie, or you're looking for something that's going to fall more in line with Scream, and what you get is something that is kind of-ish like Scream with werewolves, but nowhere near as good or as polished. And, you know, I think that's why it was so lukewarm received. And I don't – I think now – it's it's not like if we released it now, this cut, people would be like, oh, that was great. I think the reactions would be the same. They'd be like, oh, you know, like the performances are pretty good. The effects are dodgy. There's some weird stuff that you can tell got edited like or like just cut out. There's some disjointedness. But knowing what we know now and being able to go – if I were to go into Curse Now and I go, I know what this movie is. And like I know that all this crap got lost on on like it's cut out, it's gone, whatever. And so I'm going in to watch this version of cut. Like if you played that at you know like the if you played that at like the New Bev or any of these like revival theaters, when that scene happens where Judy Greer pops through the window and flips them off, I promise riotous laughter and applause. <laughs> like people would absolutely love it. But for the time, you know, like we're talking, this is two years before Rob Zombie's Halloween movie. Like it was a dark, gritty era of horror and this is not that at all you know and i was totally the guy back then who loved jay horror and who loved uh i hate the term but i mean at, at a certain point you just have to kind of embrace it but i love the torture porn era at least as far as you know the saw movies and hostels some of the uh the grizzlier stuff i i'm not a huge fan of but yeah i think you're probably right i think uh you know, it was it was kind of a movie out of its time. I, I wonder, you know, we were talking about the 90s earlier. If this movie had been made and released in 99, say, you know, if it had followed up uh, Scream and Scream 2 and The Faculty, if it was released around the time of teaching Mrs. Tingle, maybe, maybe I would have liked it more initially. You know, I, I think I still would have had a lot of the same problems that I did on this past viewing. You're right. But um I don't know. I think I probably would have been more forgiving than I was when it first hit. So I don't know. Maybe maybe its audience is still out there. Maybe uh, maybe it's time for reevaluation for it. Certainly, and I think you know probably the best way for that to happen is if we do get the other cuts or if we do get that other footage. If there's a reason for horror fans, you know, both who have seen it before and maybe didn't care for it so much, but also maybe people who haven't caught up with it yet to uh, to check it out would be you know a nice Scream Factory edition or a nice Arrow you know, edition of the movie. And um, yeah, I got to say, after watching it this last time, I never thought I would hear myself saying this, but you know, I would buy it. I would check it out. Certainly. Um, I would, I would totally listen to an audio commentary by Williamson and maybe Sean Hood together. You know, who knows what that would give us. Uh, I would ask which one of them wrote the phrase or the word cursed into the film 87 times. Uh, mm -hmm. I, w I want to know who invoked the title over and over and over again. I want to create a montage of all the times that, the, <laughs> that Jesse Eisenberg says curse or cursed. Uh, I also want to know uh, 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 questions that sort of hovered over me as I was watching this movie. Uh, who wrote cursed that many times into the film? I want to know if Jimmy's multiple hairstyles and lengths are due to him being a werewolf or down to the multiple times that the film was shot. And it just changed naturally. And I want to know why Bo's coming out to Jimmy scene is scored like a spaghetti Western. Yeah, very odd. I know that that 
especially the last time I watched it, stood out. I was like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> and that's not something I'd picked up on before. Yeah. No, there's a lot of those questions that it'd be, it, it, it would be nice to have answered. And, you know, like a lot of these actors, like, I know Christina Ricci doesn't love talking about it. Uh, I know Judy Greer, like, said she loved filming it and she doesn't understand what happened because the original version was so good. Um, you know, like, I think a lot of them shy away from it. Wes even has come out and said, like, yeah, no, it's like what they, like, he basically says they bastardized the project and um, had said that, you know, and so. I would love to hear from Williamson. You know, I would love to hear from Ricci and Eisenberg and and Joshua Jackson and Ski Ulrich. I mean, the 200 some movies are filmed in 18 days. This was filmed in 200. Like the amount of content we have that is unknown. I just it's like a treasure chest. <laughs> I I I can't like I I I have to like remind myself sometimes that I might never get it because I get too excited every once in a while, and I think we are a little bit spoiled, you know. Like I said, Cabal Cut, Tammy and the T Rex Gore Edition. Like we get spoiled and like we expect these things. I'm like we might never see that, um, but yeah, there's just so much lingering out there. And even if I don't get like the full movie, I would love to like talk to these guys. I'm hoping like maybe with a little time like for a 15 year 20 year retrospective some of these guys start to open it up and they you know they realize like eh, you know like this it doesn't really move, matter if i talk about this movie like it might have been like kind of something of an embarrassment when it occurred but i think once we get i'm telling you i'm gonna once i get my twitter army to storm the bases and <laughs> and show them how much cursed has a love like they might might get a little more loose-lipped with it all right and i'll be there to join you i uh again i uh, i wound up enjoying the movie a hell of a lot more this time around so again thank you so much for choosing it and i don't know i i think that's just about our time uh can i ask do you have any final parting thoughts about cursed um, you know, just I think for anyone out there who hasn't watched it, you definitely have heard us kind of dissect it and go through it. And I do think that you can – if you haven't watched it, go watch it. It's on Hulu and it's – there's two ways you can approach it. You can try to pull at the like very minimal threads that exist of maybe some sort of – social commentary and satire that's there. But if you really just like get like a group of friends together, get some brews – and just take it as what it is like you know like this movie like if if we found this movie now and said this movie's from 1987 everyone would love it like <laughs> people would be out there and they'd be like yeah i like you know chopping ball this like they, it would be ranked a, among those movies because it does fit into that super campy like 80s style it's just instead of a slasher it's a creature feature so just you know go out and don't expect too much have a little bit of fun with it and enjoy it. Fair enough. Now, before we go, where uh, where can folks find you at online, and what can we keep an eye out for from you in the future? Oh man, I feel like I have a billion uh, pokers in the fire at all times. Um, you can find me online. So, a couple different places. Obviously, my website's at Ghastly Grinning, which we, that's Instagram and Twitter. Um, you can find me on Twitter. That's at Ryan Larson. Or if you want to follow me on Instagram, that's fine. It's public. It's at Ryan Writes Left. Um, like writes W-R-I-T-E-S. Um, you can also find my podcast. That's at Screaming Cast. Um, that's on Twitter and Instagram as well. Uh, Ghastly Grinning's the website. We're launching our, our own podcast in October, um, which is a late night style approach to horror. So it's basically um, 15 to 20 minutes of like segments and horror movie news and then a more late night um, style interview with people. So – yeah, we're what we're trying. What I'm trying to do really is shine a spotlight on the journalists in the genre who don't normally get a big spotlight. Um, so I have a lot of journalists lined up for that. Um, you know, Molly Henry, who writes for me and for Nightmarish Conjurings, is going to be on there. Anya Stanley is going to be on there. She writes for everyone. Fango um, is like one of her really big ones. Um, you know, um, I have the producer of Satanic Panic who's going to be on the show. Um, so I kind of want to do. We're focusing more on like back. Like, like people involved in the genre that aren't the spotlight. Um, and then it's also more of an approach like we're going to talk horror, but also like we're going to talk things that aren't horror too. Um, just like in like interests that they have outside of the genre. So that launches in October. Um, and then I'm working on a, a, a fundraiser, a charity um, that's called Horror Heals, and that's going to launch in October, hopefully as well. If everything goes through, we've hit some snags. But what that is is it's um, it's going to be in line with um, 
with Stop the Stigma, which is a charity that helps um, sponsor Texas Frightmare. And what we're going, what we're trying to do is collect um, um, autographs, collectibles, um, memorabilia from actors, screenwriters, directors in the genre, and then we're going to sell all of it and put all of the proceeds towards Stop the Sigma, which is the charity that um, focuses on getting help for people who can't afford mental health, and then it's also all about mental health awareness. So um, that should hopefully be announced and going up in October, but um, California and the U.S. have some weird regulations when it comes to like charity stuff that I've hit some snags on, so fingers crossed, but at the very latest, the beginning of next year. That's fantastic, sir. Very cool. All right. Well, hey, thank you so much again for being on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. That was a blast, and I'm glad I got you to watch Cursed again. That's my goal. Get everyone to watch it once at least, and if you've seen it once, one more time. (laughs) All right. Thank you again, and thanks to all you listeners out there. As always, please make certain to like, subscribe, share, use the comment section below, follow us on Twitter. That's at Scream Addicts, and I'm at Jinx1981. Until next time, folks, thanks so much, and have a great weekend.